we're going to spend the next four weeks um, talking about DNA. Uh, <clears throat> I... I I do kind of love a good crime drama, um, and um, <clears throat> there was a season in my life where I loved the show CSI, okay? I apologize for that, uh, because uh, I- I'm talking about the original CSI, not the other 18 that they made post the original one. Uh, I-, I love the show up until the point where it got, it got to a place where the plot was basically the same thing, and I could tell you the whole, I could tell you what was going to happen and who done it within the first five minutes, right? And then what they did is they basically took that same idea and they moved it to Hawaii and they moved it to Florida and they, all these different locations, it's the same thing, right? But, but it was CSI that really kind of helped me to really begin to understand how incredible DNA was and what, what DNA can do and what it can reveal. See, in our human bodies, DNA is is an organic material that contains genetic information. Uh, And it's also DNA that's kind of a key part of our reproduction as humans because we pass that DNA from parent to child. Uh, DNA identifies us, and it's also a significant part of what ties us together because in this room filled with all kinds of different people, we all have some similar DNA markers uh, in our bodies. Now, this idea of DNA, while not organic like it is in a medical sense, it does translate to another number of other different organisms, and and it can be explained as some of the most basic and most important stuff. You need DNA. (laughs) It's pretty basic. It's pretty important. Uh, In other words, what, what is at the core of an organization or a group of people, that's what we could call their DNA. So here at MPNAS, we have a DNA that's both a product of what Scripture has commanded us and the context in which we find ourselves. And at the very core of our DNA is the command that we find from Jesus that he gave to his disciples right before he ascended into heaven. He said this, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And this, this DNA is at the heart of any evangelistic Christian church. But there's so much more that makes up the DNA of the local church. Uh, and each one is different based on a number of things like context and resources and passions. And this is where we get localized mission statements from. About five years ago, a team of people got together. We, we had been kind of dreaming about this. We put this group together, and we, we sat down, and for a period of months, we began to talk and pray uh, through this idea of trying to define with our context in mind what our mission needed to be here at MPNAS. And in that process, we not only developed this mission for the local fellowship, but we outlined some core values and some strategies so that that mission could be successful and it's that mission that we have been striving to live by for, for a number of years now. You've heard it, you've seen it, but I think it bears repeating as we step into this, these few weeks here together. And it's this, we exist to guide those who feel unloved and unwanted into the loving embrace of Jesus. This is our mission. This is the lens through which we conduct everything that we do how we spend money, how we plan events. We want to be a church 
that guides those who feel unloved and feel unwanted into the most life-changing, most amazing relationship they'll ever have, and that's with Jesus Christ. That's what we exist to do. Usually about this time every year, we do take several weeks to remind ourselves of this mission and to spend time talking about our core values. But this year, I wanted to shift just a little bit, and I wanted to spend some time talking about our strategies. Now, a strategy is basically a plan of action that's designed to accomplish something. And so even as we developed our mission several years ago, we took time to also think about the strategies towards the accomplishment of that mission. What did we need to do with the core values that guided us? What do we need to do to accomplish that mission? And from that discussion, we came up with four strategies that we're going to look at together for the next four weeks, and they are this, to come, to connect, to contribute, and to commit. And today I want to talk to you about that first strategy, which is to come and join us in weekly worship where we enthusiastically glorify God, we connect with one another, and we prepare for the challenges of life together. We believe that this is an essential part of the DNA here at MPNAS. This cannot be neglected. This is, if you take this strand out of the DNA, it changes everything. This is vital. And our text this morning that Pastor Matt read for us from Colossians 3 helps us to see that truth. And so that's where we're going to focus together this morning. This letter that, that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae uh, addresses a variety of things. And, and as was often the case for Paul's letters to any church, his concern was rooted in the fact that Paul really wanted to see the local church be obedient to what God had called them to do. Most every letter from Paul has a kind of a flavor along those lines, and this was no exception. The church, even as we know it today, was not a construct of man. We didn't come up with this idea. It's something that God ordained. It is to be guided by the Holy Spirit, and it is known commonly as the bride of Christ. We are the church. We are the bride of Christ. Now, funny thing is Scripture doesn't really directly communicate that idea, the bride of Christ, but we do find it in a couple of different spots. One is in Ephesians chapter 5 where it says this, Husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. We have a parallel there of this bride, of this marriage picture, and it goes on. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Another place we see this in Revelation chapter 19. It says this, Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. The church of Jesus Christ has a very important and special role in God's plan. And this makes the church, the fellowship of believers, the bride of Christ, something that should be, that must be of importance to us. And this is at the heart of what Paul is saying in our text today. It's important that we understand that Paul here is speaking to the church. The letter that Paul writes is written to the church. It is written for us. 
And this is important as we look at this Scripture together. He says this, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, this tells us what? He's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. He's talking to the church. They are followers of Jesus Christ. And if we begin with that understanding, it helps us to understand everything else that Paul has to say. He's talking to people who have made the decision that Christ is going to be in their lives. And not just in their lives, but at the center of their lives, taking His seat on the throne of their hearts. And that is who I am talking to today. I am talking to this church. I am talking to this fellowship, this portion of the bride of Christ. And here's what Paul is teaching us. He's teaching us that when Christ is your life, He is all that matters. Look at the first four verses from Paul's text today. He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all His glory. When I read this text, I am convinced that there is kind of a, a kingdom language at work here. Uh, when, I, when we think of and talk about heaven, we're always thinking, we're often thinking about that which is to come, our eternity with God, but I don't, I don't think that that's what Paul is necessarily talking about here. You see, even Jesus, when He taught in His ministry here on earth, He did not push people to think about heaven as just an eventual reality, but as an available and present reality. In fact, when Jesus taught His disciples to pray, He taught them to pray that the kingdom of God would come to earth as it was in heaven. But Jesus was saying that the kingdom of God is not something to simply set our sights on for the future, but to seek to realize right here today in our present. And Paul says, when Christ is your life, when you have made Jesus both Savior and Lord, He becomes all that matters. He must become all that matters. Jesus becomes a lens through which we view everything that we do, the lens uh, through which we direct our efforts, the lens through which we utilize our resources, the lens through which we make decisions, the lens through which we conduct every aspect of our lives. When Jesus is your life, He is all that matters. This, this heavenward mentality is a higher plane of living and thinking. So many are seeking a, a, to find a way to enjoy their lives, to, to find fulfillment and to experience success in everything that they're doing. And the answer to that can be found in this one simple truth. The secret of seeking and enjoying life on a higher plane is to keep your eyes on Jesus. That's it. But when Christ is your life, you must also separate from what the world celebrates. Notice what Paul says in our text. He says, you have to put to death the sinful earthly things that lurk within us. And the list involves a lot of things that most of us would say, those things are not a part of my life, you know, like sexual morality, lust, and evil desires and greed. Many people say, well, those things aren't necessarily a part of my life, even though in some cases they are much more than we're willing to admit. But he also lists one more thing. He says not to worship the things of the world. 
Can I just, I'm going to be real with you for a moment. <laughs> and I think this is where most of us get tripped up. I think it might be fairly easy for us to say, listen, I'm not struggling with the sexual morality. I'm not struggling with the greed. I'm not struggling with the lust. But don't, let's not talk about the things that I worship that are a part of this world. The reason we get tripped up here is because there are a ton of other things that are vying for our attention. Tons. From the moment you woke up this morning, everything that could possibly get your attention was trying hard. There are a slew of activities and events and adventures that the world worships, and all too often we start to worship them too. And they are very time-consuming. You see, we have we become... Uh, <laughs> there used to be a day when, when this hour on Sunday mornings was sacred. And, and it was sacred and it remained mostly untouched, but that is no longer the case. Now just about anything can and probably will happen on a Sunday morning. It used to be, you didn't come to church, it didn't matter, you weren't going to Walmart because they were closed. But it, it's not just that. You see, we have become so consumed by what the world says is important, what the world worships, that our time during the rest of the week is often consumed with those things. And so the only time we have left to do the other stuff is today. I've been so busy working this week, I really need to get the lawn mowed. I've been so busy, I worked six days this week, and I just need some me time. <laughs> I didn't get a chance to, to, to do anything else, and so Sunday morning, I, I, that's, that's when I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play golf. But here's the tough part. This is, this is the tough part. Did we collect all the rocks before service started? Okay. Paul is pretty clear here. These other things like sexual impurity and greed, they're all listed in the same category as worshiping the things of the world. Hear me today. They're all in the same category. And do you know what Paul calls them? He calls them sin. It's sin. Now, the old you, the one who walked apart from Christ... That version of you may, may have included those things. It may have included placing the things of the world above the things of God. But the new you, Paul says, must get rid of those things. The new you with Christ at the center of your life must separate from what the world celebrates. So what we are doing here on Sunday mornings, listen, this is not the end all. This is not like... like this is, <laughs> but it is one of the most significant functions in the life of the church. And when it is neglected or it is given secondary importance to everything else in your life, listen, not only is it disobedience, it will be detrimental to your walk with Christ. You see, if Christ is your life, you can't neglect his bride. There's always been a tendency to neglect the bride of Christ 
for other things. It's a temptation that the enemy puts in front of us because you know what the enemy doesn't want? You here. Period. The enemy doesn't want you to be here. He doesn't want you to be doing this. He doesn't want us to be together. The past couple of years have seen an explosion in the area of neglect for the body of Christ. And it began with a very real legitimate reason, public health and safety. We did what we knew best to do, but it has turned into something so much more. You see, what has happened in the past few years, there has, there has been the creation of an unrepentant and a total neglect of the body of Christ for the sake of selfishness, personal agendas, and individualism. Now, I've heard all the excuses. You know, Pastor, I've never been so close to Jesus. My walk is better than it ever was before now. I get so much more out of your messages than I ever did when I was coming in person. It just works better for my schedule. And don't worry, Pastor, I still watch every week. Yeah. And that's all great, but you are neglecting the vital instruction that Scripture is very clear on when it comes to the fellowship of believers and gathering together. And do you notice the language that we find in each one of those excuses? It's I, me, and my. I remember Paul tells us to set our sights on the realities of heaven. And you know what heaven is not? <laughs> I should have got like glass. You know what heaven is not? It's not all about you. It's not. Heaven is not this individualistic idea. I mean, we like to make it that. You know, Jesus is building me a mansion and I'm going to do, heaven is not about you. And when we set our sights on the realities of heaven, when we begin to thank heaven, not just seek heaven, we begin to see that it's so much more than just about ourselves. It's about fellowship. It's about a community of believers. It's about the church. A church, by the way, that each one of us who have made Jesus Lord and Savior of our lives is now a part. Now, selfishness says, I can do this by myself. In fact, I do it better by myself. I really don't need that. Selfishness says, I, I don't need anybody else. I mean, no one really cares that I'm there. First of all, that's not true. Second of all, that is an incredibly selfish statement. Nobody cares that I even show up on Sunday. That is really selfish because it's not about you. Amen. You being here is not about you. Jesus said to lay down your life for yourself. Hey, no, he didn't. He said to lay down your life for one another. Yeah. 
It's not about you. Lay down your life for one another. And guess what? You cannot lay down your life for another by yourself. You can't do it in isolation. This can't happen when you aren't with the family of God. But even more importantly, perhaps it is the truth that says if, you're, if Christ is your life, then you are an essential part of the body. Uh, turn with me over to another one of Paul's letters. We're going to see this one uh, in, in Corinthians. Now, Paul, Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinthians, and when he... Ooh. <laughs> When he writes this letter, <clears throat> pardon me, um, he, he was taking some time to talk to them about how each one of them had been incredibly gifted by God and, uh, and how they're supposed to use those gifts. And, and this is what he says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, starting with verse 12. This is what he says. He says, the human body has many parts. But the many parts make up one whole body, so it is with the body of Christ. Now, some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Let me just pause right there for a moment. There's this beautiful picture that Paul is giving us here of the, the cornucopia that is supposed to be the church. We all come from different places, and we look a little bit different, and we smell a little bit different, and we talk different, and we dress different, but all of us are part of this incredibly beautiful thing called the body of Christ, verse 14. Yes, the body has many different parts, not, uh, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because uh, I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how could you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how could you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where He wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. I realize I've messed up the slides. I'm sorry. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those that should not be seen, while the most more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Last verse, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. I want us to think about that for just a second. This incredible, colorful cornucopia of people, all a part of this thing that that we call the body of Christ. And not a single one of us is, is more important or, or less important. You can't just toss one part out and say, well, you're not really significant. You're not really important. And like that one part also can't say, by the way, I'm not important. That's actually what we hear more of right now is people saying, well, I'm not, it's not really valuable that I'm there. It doesn't really matter. It's not your call. <laughs> we all depend on one another to be a part of the body. 
We all depend on one another to do the job that God has gifted us to do, to be a part of the growth and the success and the health of the body. And no matter what we go through, we go through it together. Are you suffering from something personal in your life? Guess what? We are there with you. Imagine how difficult it would be if you had a niche on your back and no hands. I mean, we would eventually find something to lean up against, or a tree or another person. But you know what? God created you with hands, and you can take them and scratch your itch. It's amazing. Don't you see what beautiful thing, what a beautiful thing God has given us? Your marriage, it may be on the rocks. We're with you. You having some financial difficulties? We're with you. Have you lost your spouse? We're with you. Are you dealing with anxiety about being in a crowd? We're with you. But we can only be with you when we're with you. These strategies, as we call them, they're at the heart. They're at the heart of how we see living out our mission. And it takes each one of you to make this work. It takes each one of you to be committed to coming together with regularity and with a spirit of anticipation of what God is going to do. Uh, we don't come to church because it's what we need to get us through the week. This is not, you know, we're not all here to plug in our Teslas and get our charge for the week. Okay? We've treated it that way sometimes, like, I got to go to church and get ready for, No. We don't come here for that. We come to church because we're a part of a body of believers who are bound together by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, who are empowered and guided by the presence of the Holy Spirit in order that we might be a people that radiate the love of Jesus both inside and outside of these doors. And this is why I believe, why we believe, that coming to church, coming to this gathering faithfully, it is absolutely vital. It, it is necessary for you, and it's necessary for the entire fellowship. I want to share a story with you this morning that kind of speaks to what we've been talking about together today. Let's, let's watch this together. So I was raised here at MP Naz as a child and up through parts of middle school. Um, time past that was kind of inconsistent. And it wasn't until I had my own children, my daughters Mari and Lottie, that I realized that they needed to be in church. When they were six months old, we decided to get them baptized at another church. Um, and that came up in conversation with somebody who wasn't a Christian. And the comment back was about their children is, I will let my daughter make that decision when she's old enough. We're not going to take her to church or she won't be raised in church, but you know, when she's an adult, she can decide to decide for herself. Um, that just kind of shocked me because if they're not raised in church or they're not exposed, 
are they going to make that decision later when they're able to have more free will? Um, I think it was at that moment I knew that at some point, like, the girls and I have to come to church and they need to be raised in the church. And I knew I really wanted them to be raised here where I was raised. You know, what better way to equip your children than to have them raised in the church where they can walk alongside and be in the lives of other children their age as they travel through childhood, middle school years, you know, the teen years and then beyond. Um, and then have them forming relationships with adults they can trust so when it comes time to work through issues that maybe they don't want to talk to with me. They have trusted adults to, to go to and they're going to be teaching them, you know, the biblical way to work through that. Just last week, they come home with this really cute bracelet from Miss Allie's class um, that says, Jesus loves you no matter what. And, um, you know, we talked through that. And today, the girls wore their bracelets to school. And I thought, oh, you know, if they were ever asked about that bracelet, they're gonna tell their teacher or their friends what that bracelet means. We've been back for about four or five years and the value for me is pretty hard to fill with words. I just have a such sense of joy and belonging when I, when I come through the doors. The biblical teachings I've been a part of in the small groups and the gatherings and the volunteer opportunities, it all just, comes together as this positive experience. It has changed my life in so many ways. I, I understand what it means to have a true relationship with Jesus, and I feel like that comes across with the girls, but it's meant a lot to me to kind of look around and see that I'm not walking alone. I'm walking with a whole church filled with the people that are walking alongside of me and with me, you know, and I look forward to the lessons that they come home with I know it'll build from the bracelet um, that they got last Sunday. So one day when they are old enough to make their own decisions, you know, I pray and hope that they will remain. The thanks just doesn't go to me for bringing them, but it goes to the entire church for, you know, lifting them up along the way. That all began because Brittany decided she was going to come to church. And the reason it has gone so well is because many of you have decided to come to church. You see, Brittany came to church hungry, looking for something for her life, for her children. And many of you were the ones that came to church and you have poured into her life and you've poured into the lives of her girls. The last thing that Brittany said there is so important. She says, a thanks goes to the entire church. A thanks goes to the entire church. Listen, you are not here for you. You are here for this. In Paul's letter to the Colossians, he lists towards the end of it some things that we, as God's holy people, are to clothe ourselves with. I want to remind you, he says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. 
Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom He gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Remember what I said at the beginning today. Paul's talking to the church here. He's talking to Christians and telling them how they are to function within the body of believers. All that he is telling them to do only works when we are together. And this is how we are to treat one another, with mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and love. These instructions were for the church. You can't do these things if you're not with the church, for the church. (laughs) We're to teach and to counsel one another in the church. We're to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs together in the church. We're to be thankful together in the church. This is why I believe that in order for us to be obediently living out our mission, each one of us has to be committed to coming to church so that we can glorify God enthusiastically, connect with one another, and prepare for the challenges of life together. Another beautiful thing that is a part of our gathering is the opportunity that we have to come to the table of remembrance. And so as we close today, we're going to do that. This was something that Jesus Himself instituted, and it finds its primary function in the gathering of the believers because it takes place around a table of fellowship. Jesus, when He was with His disciples, they were sitting together at the table, and He said to them, He said, I have been very eager to eat this meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And the Scripture tells us that He then took a cup, He gave thanks to God for it, and He broke it in pieces, and He gave it to the disciples, and He said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, He took another cup of wine, and He said, this is the new cup The new covenant between God and His people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. The communion supper was instituted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as a sacrament, and in that sacrament it proclaims His life, His sufferings, His sacrificial death, His resurrection, and the hope that He is coming again. Communion is a means of grace in which Christ is present by the Spirit. It is to be received in reverent appreciation and gratefulness for the work of Christ. We come to this table so that we might be renewed in our lives and in our salvation and to be made one by the Spirit. And so in unity with the church, we confess our faith that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Would you pray with me? 
Father God, we gather at this, your table, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And Jesus healed the sick, He fed the hungry, He ate with sinners, and He established for us this new covenant for the forgiveness of our sins. And we live today in the hope that Jesus is coming again. And so we gather today as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and in thanksgiving. Would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these, your gifts? Would you make them by the power of your Holy Spirit to be for us the body and the blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood? By your Holy Spirit, Father, would you make us one? one with each other, one with the ministry of Christ to the world until he comes in final victory. And now, Father, as your Son taught us to pray, we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.